Welcome to The Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly news review at Chicago's Cafe Mustache that satirizes the dumb news of the month that was through hilarious op-ed and debate. This show was recorded December 2nd, 2015. Enjoy. November 2015 tonight. Everything bad that happened, we're going to discuss tonight. I'll buy it very briefly, given how many things went wrong in November. But more on that later. This skewer is a monthly show. If you uh, want to see it again, every first Wednesday of the month, come back. Cafe Mustache, 8 p.m. You'll get to see some of the best writers from Chicago spar in the debates. You'll have an opportunity to hear their opinions in their op-eds and discuss what needs to be discussed and resolve what needs to be resolved here at the skewer. So, without further ado, we want to get right into the news and events. We're going to start today with a writer who is one of my faves. I have seen her perform in Right Club. I have a bio that I'm going to read. Um, So, Amanda Claire Buckley is a self-described troubadour. Her storytelling and songs have taken her across the country and abroad. She's been featured at the Crisis Art Festival in Italy and the Capital Fringe Festival in D.C. and was awarded the Next Generation Scholarship from the National Storytelling Network. You can find out where she's performing next at amandaclairebuckley.com. Please give it up for Amanda Claire Buckley. a toast. This November, everything we thought we knew about female sexuality was turned upside down, for science has proven once and for all, regardless of what we say or think or do, we are all secretly lesbians. So here's to the death of the straight female. May it be swift and painless. Cheers. You may have thought that the death of heterosexuality occurred 50 years ago with the development of the Kinsey scale, but according to clickbait internet journalism, it actually occurred on November 5th when The Independent published the article, Women Are Never Straight. Several other articles followed, including Science Proves All Women Are Lesbians from the New York Post, There Are No Straight Women in Montreal from the MTL blog, and 100% of Women Are Lesbians from Autostraddle.com. Clearly biased. How did it come to this? The hetero female's cause of death can be traced back to October 26, when the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology published the shocking findings from a study conducted at the University of Essex. The university measured 345 women for physical responses of arousal, exemplified by pupil dilation and vaginal blood flow, as they were shown videos of naked men and women. In response to the stimuli, 82% of the women were aroused by both sexes. Of the women who identified as straight, 74% showed non-gender specific arousal. I know what you're thinking. 26% of straight women are actually straight. And 82% of women are still aroused by men. But autostraddle.com set the record straight. All women are lesbians. 
Journalists are way better at data analysis than scientists. Otherwise, why would we need journalists? We would just read the studies ourselves. <laughs> I mean, the scientists at the University of Essex weren't even smart enough to realize that they proved all women are lesbians. They thought they were actually measuring the correlation between a woman's non-sexual traits of femininity and masculinity with their physiological signs of arousal. The conclusion they came to, according to the lead author of the study, Dr. Gerloff Ryder, was that there is no correlation. Quote, how women appear, appear in public does not mean that we know anything about their sexual role preference. In other words, outward appearances do not correlate with specific sexual desires. We've been confusing eyeliner with arousal this whole time. Short skirts don't mean she's hunting for cock, and pixie cuts do not mean she likes scissoring. Except she does like scissoring. All women like scissoring, according to journalists. 100% of women are lesbians. That's a fact. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in my newsfeed. Yes, some might say that these articles featuring really highly erotic photos and little analysis were nothing more than sensationalistic, hyperbolic examples of terrible science reporting, capitalizing on our society's ability to diminish lesbianism by turning it into a fetish. But I clicked on them anyways. So in terms of driving traffic to their respective news sites, they were very well written. And to be fair, I guess more accurate headlines, if that's what you're into, could have read 26% of women properly predict what will arouse them, or only her hairdresser knows for sure she's a lesbian. But chances are she's maybe bi-curious if we have to go as far as to force a sexual identity upon her, even though it's really not our place to do so. And sexuality is more complex than a simple set it and forget it label. Maybe it's easier to just say who cares and move on to more important things, like I think Syria's having a thing. I bet women have an opinion on that. Let's ask them. That would have been a more accurate headline. But that would have just prolonged the struggle of lesbians in hiding. And the struggle, as the young kids say, is real, because not only are all women secretly lesbians, they are also, if these journalists are correct, they are also secretly into bestiality. <laughs> you see, if we assume that arousal is a binding contract to a particular sexual identity, as these journalists did with Dr. Ryder's study, then this means all women must be into bestiality, according to another 2007 study by Meredith Chivers at, University, at Queen's University. Chivers monitored vaginal blood flow and pupil dilation, much like Dr. Gerloff Ryder, of women as they watched footage of heterosexual and same-sex couples copulating, as well as bonobos copulating. The results showed that women were equally aroused by all sensual footage, heterosexual, gay, lesbian, and bonobos. <laughs> the gender of the bonobos were, was unconfirmed, so I'm unable to report if the female latent lesbianism crosses the species divide, but I assume that it does. <laughs> Uh, so, those same journalists that are claiming that all women are lesbians should also be held accountable for calling all women monkey lovers, which is a terribly slippery slope to go down because suddenly it, it appears as though you're making the argument that lesbianism leads to bestiality, which we all know is definitely not true. So, unless these journalists want to be accused of unveiling the female's hidden kink for monkeys, they should admit that they misconstrued a study in order to generate clickbait headlines. They should also admit that physiological arousal does not equal sexual identity, which is more complicated and requires much more than a dilated pupil to determine. Sexual identity requires agency, which surprisingly, it turns out, all women have. For men, sexual identification and physiological arousal are allowed to be two completely separate phenomena. Men are allowed to have what we have colloquially dubbed the awkward boner. 
Boners that occur for reasons other than the, than the desire to engage in sexual intercourse. Things that can cause awkward boners include having to answer a really hard problem in math class. The venom from a Brazilian wandering spider. Death by hanging. The resulting boner is known as angel lust. And donuts, which science shows cause a 32% increase in penile blood flow. None of this, though, is said to change their sexual identity because men are allowed agency. If a donut makes a man hard, we know he might not want to fuck a donut. If a man pitches a tent in math class, we know he might not want to fuck his male math teacher. If a bonobo gets a woman wet, though, should we assume she wants to have sex with a bonobo? No. Because, did someone say yes? <laughs> someone definitely said yes. <laughs> well, we shouldn't. <laughs> because chances are that women, given the agency, will opt not to have sex with a bonobo. However, I will admit that it seems to be that given the agency, a sizable portion of women will opt to have sex with another woman. That is a repeatedly proven statistic, but we have to admit that it's stupid to simply end the discussion with, well, her pupils dilated, so I guess she's a lesbian, because that doesn't tell us anything. I did my own study. I didn't have a tool to measure vaginal blood flow. By the way, if any of you were thinking about getting me a Christmas gift, I could use one of those. Um, so I had to resort to using Surve Survey Monkey, and I know I just said monkey, but ladies, put your pants on. I gathered anonymous data on 100 people, and I found that only 55% of women identify as straight publicly. Privately, that number drops to 37%, and with the other 63% claiming they were either bisexual or, bisexual or other. Ironically, no woman privately identified as a lesbian. To contrast, 77% of men said they were straight publicly, and 74% privately. BuzzFeed and Pornhub also co-authored a study. They co-authored a study, BuzzFeed and Pornhub. That is real. They co-authored a study that showed women are 283% more likely to search for lesbian porn than men. Many sexperts theorize that this is because lesbian porn is more sensual, gives women a sense of the taboo, and includes a healthy dose of oral sex. So excuse us if we want to watch that instead of watching an unattractive guy plow into a woman who is clearly not enjoying herself. And also, it's nice to see two women get along for a change. <laughs> also, women, women are more likely to be turned on and romantically or sexually attracted to the same sex than men. That's a legitimate claim to make. What's stupid is to disregard any meaning this has towards the science of gender and sexuality, and instead download some suggestive images from stockphoto.com, post a statement with a titillating clickbait headline that essentially markets women as mindless sexual objects once again. The way they reported the study was a highly visible example of soft sexism, of objectification, of exploitation that does occur to women daily. I'm also upset that the journalists didn't take the time to write about why women seem to be aroused by a greater variety of stimuli than men. In the paper, the paper I actually read, Dr. Gerlof Ryger hypothesizes that many millennia ago, forced copulation was standard practice in society. It kind of still is. Forced sex, obviously, is dangerous to the female body and can result in injuries. So, and I quote, the female response to any sexual stimulus could have evolved in part to mitigate the risk. This is the same conclusion that Dr. Trivers came to after her study at Queen's University. 
According to science, women get aroused so we don't get hurt. We get aroused because our agency has been taken away for centuries and centuries. We get aroused because we have a history of abuse built into our bodies. And if it so happens that because of this, all women are now secretly lesbians, then so be it. So here's to the <laughs> death of the straight female. Cheers. So many things that, uh, yeah, high school math would have been totally different. Great. Um, well, again, thank you all for coming out tonight. Uh, very happy for you all to be here. This is our second show, second of what we hope is very many. Um, we are going to move along. We're going to keep this show up going. The next person that we're going to bring to the stage is Josh Leeper. Josh Leeper associates himself as a comedic songwriter. He has performed his beautiful ballads throughout the city of Chicago. He captures the everyday problems of the millennial generation flawlessly by hitting on <laughs> such hard topics as developing a crush on the girl you are riding with on, on the L train, losing your wallet at a bar, and everyone's obsession with Emma Watson like four years ago. If you want to check him out on YouTube, you should. He's pretty good. He's also a playwright with works being featured on the stages of Second City, I.O., and the BYOT Weekends uh, stage. A 24-hour theater company that goes 0 to 100 theater real, real quick. Uh, real quick. Whole squad on that real shit. This is his words, not mine. Uh, <laughs> arguably, his most fascinating work, by definition, was named the Best Of at the recent Best Of BYOT. As per the obligations of being named that best of, keep an eye out for a longer and harder version of By Definition coming very soon. He does other stuff too, like acts in movies and runs marathons and shit, but he's here to read his written words tonight, so don't worry about that stuff right now. Please help me welcome Josh Lieber. <laughs> So nice to say all those things about me, Eric. You're welcome. I'd say you look ravishing tonight. Skewerettes, ites, maybe. As the holiday season gets underway, you may be celebrating with your family and your friends, making food and sharing drinks while staying warm by the fire. One of my favorite holidays has already passed, though. One that isn't a holiday, so to speak, but a tradition nonetheless. Some may call it barbaric. But I call it tradition. <laughs> this world, it shows this world's true colors. And this Black Friday was something of a spectacle in Chicago. In a timely turn of events, a peaceful protest was holding shoppers from back from ripping sales of the hands of children, crawling on each other for the savings, and packing the shopping district with the funds that they may or may not have to spend. Deservingly, the protesters were the ones with the media on their backs while the celebrated holiday that consistently incites pain, misery, and even in some cases death was looked at as a helpless victim. With that, one question comes to mind. What were those shoppers shopping for? <laughs> Specifics would be far too great to say, but look no farther than Time Magazine for the answer in an article designed to incite the, pur the purchase of the hottest items of 2015 an article entitled, The 25 Best Inventions of 2015. Like me, you might be a little skeptical at first. Oh great, a list of things 
to help farther society, like a library or bifocals? Who's the next Ben Franklin? But I, what I got, I got what I was looking for from the magazine that's unwilling to accept the overwhelming support for Bernie Sanders and the voting for person of the year. <laughs> Every item on this list, Sans 3, was accompanied with a price tag for your financial convenience. Yes, you too can acquire the majority of the best inventions of 2015 for yourself. And good thing it's here for you just in time for Black Friday. Let's dive in, shall we? <laughs> As most articles found on the internet these days, it is accompanied with a video that reiterates the words that are being written. <laughs> I am assuming this is for the blinds. <laughs> this video is absent from the hard copies, though. I'm sure if they could get, a, get the video into the magazines, they would, though. Leading off the list is a revolutionary product that will alleviate the pain of something that has plagued the human race for decades. No, I'm not talking about that cure for AIDS that the one guy tried to monopolize. I am talking about the hoverboard scooter. <laughs> yeah, we're looking to fix that walking problem, people. Yes, the device you've seen on TV with stars like Jimmy Fallon, Kendall Jenner, and Brian stars like, like the King Bach Batch and all of his friends. I was personal witness to an employee at Potbelly's riding around this, this hoverboard while making sandwiches. Spoiler alert, he fell. <laughs> the list is loaded with fantastic gems like this hoverboard scooter. The Doppler Labs Hear Active Listening Earbuds. It's a device that lets you control the volume of certain things in your general area. Yes, now you can literally make people shut up. <laughs> the Nike Fly Ease 8. It's a shoe designed to help kids with cerebral palsy and other physical disabilities tie their shoes. Now industrialized and capitalized, so you can play basketball without tying yours. The Artiphone Instrument 1. It's an interest instrument designed to sound like any instrument out there and easy to learn and master. For those of us who have spent years with a guitar or piano or saxophone in our hands and still find ways to improve that crap, fuck that. <laughs> Some five-year-old will be killing it on the artiphone next year. Just wait. We'll be all obsolete. But the list goes on. It, it, it dives into various target audience. Beautiful. Like, uh, like babies. There's a new baby monitor out there. It's crazy. It works very similar to, to one of those ankle trackers that uh, prisoners on parole they wear. Now it's for babies. And there's a toy dinosaur out there that talks back to you. Isn't that crazy? We're prepping our kids for being on parole and having no friends. <laughs> hackers. Hackers had a little bit in this uh, list. Uh, the Microsoft HoloLens and the Hackable. If you've heard of any, either of those, they're great, uh, great things. But one uh, helps you hack life. You can do whatever you want in the room. I'm assuming it's crazy. The other one teaches you how to hack technology. So I'm thinking combo movie, superpowers of some sort. Hey. The homeless, yes, the homeless was targeted in this, in this little list. Star, wait, where is it? Uh, Star Apartments in LA, they're affordable living qual, uh, quarters for the poor. Is it free? I don't know. This is one of the three objects without a price tag. <laughs> and the Casper mattress, it's like a big bed but in a tiny box. It's perfect for consistently on the go people. <laughs> uh, the gluten intolerant also get a little praise. Banza chickpea pasta. Is exactly what it sounds like. Some would debate that it's just a change of recipe, but not an not an invention. 
But there's a reason that your extra garlicky breadcrumb chicken tossed in buffalo sauce is not on this list. <laughs> and also the Six Sensor Labs Nema. It's a six-inch device that tastes your food for you, tastes your food for you, and tells you if there's gluten in it or not. It takes about two minutes, so as someone who works in a restaurant, I now go, there's two minutes before someone can place on the food. <laughs> Single people also get, an, uh, get some attention, as always. The Pantelligent, it's a frying pan. It screams instructions as you, as you're cooking. In case any of you missed your mother. <laughs> and for the ladies, Thinks, T-H-I-N-X. I spell that because I know you're gonna wanna look it up. It's period-proof underwear. Yeah, it's underwear with a built-in pad. Reusable, I guess, for your convenience. <laughs> Probably the real highlight of this list, though, are the inventions that took other inventions and just smashed them together. <laughs> like, like the safety truck. Big truck, right? Can't see around it. You put a camera on the front and a screen on the back that has the camera feed. Bingo! The Apple Pencil made an appearance. Yes, the stylus. I don't know about you, but my mom had a stylus way back with her personal, uh, personal organizer in like 2001, but glad they got on the list this year, you know? The Google Cardboard. It's cardboard that you put your phone in and attach to your head. And so you can watch the screen real close. That's what it is. That's really what it is. We also have the Ocean Cleanup Project made the list. The only one, only project that made the list. But uh, this one's genius, really. We have trash in the ocean, right? Just scoop it right out, right? Right now, there is a giant trash bag in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's the size of Texas. And it's just scooping trash out. Trash bag in ocean, right? All right, the epitome of this revolutionary list has to be the drinkable book, though. We have moved so far in the past decade as a society that the need for physical books is almost obsolete. I love books, but the concern for the environment and the invention of the Kindle has taken away from their needs. So, no fear, though, Terry Danovic has made a book doubling as a water filter, specifically intended for use in countries where water needs filtered, like New Guinea and, and all the... All the African countries in West Virginia. <laughs> because who doesn't want to read of mice and men after it's been contaminated with harmful bacteria and waterborne illnesses, right? <laughs> all in all, Time Magazine has served up some satisfying delights. In a year where flying cars, uh, self-fitted and drying clothes, and actual hoverboards were a fantasy dreamed up 30 years ago, we really outdid ourselves. Go ahead and grab your copy of the 25 Best Inventions of 2015 and get your family and friends something new this holiday season. Like a Tesla? Tesla. And those are affordable, right? That's all right. Thank you. question is, where is the vaginal juice measurement system? <laughs> How are we getting out of that? I guess not. I guess not. Uh, well, next up, we have uh, Jim Marcus. Jim Marcus, ladies and gentlemen. Jim uh, 
His Twitter account, uh, at Jim Marcus, he created a do-yourself writing workbook called Write with Lions. You can find it at Quimby's in Wicker Park, G Mart in Logan Square, or in your bathroom, or Amazon. Uh, or in the bathroom on, um, on Amazon on your phone. Uh, Co-founder of the Ink and Blood Dueling Society and producer at the Society's secret quarterly writing duel events. Uh, at these events, four anonymous writers craft stories in front of a live audience. The audience sees the stories projected during the writing process. Everyone shouts feedback, positive and not negative or nonsensical, at the writers, who can change their stories based on what they hear. At the most recent show, someone described the group as, quote, eyes wide shut, but with writers instead of Scientologists. Uh, admission is free. Uh, next show is in January. Go to writingghouls.com for more details. And uh, Jim had a, an addendum for his uh, bio, which was, he is a Groupon shareholder. So, for what it's worth, please welcome to the stage, Jim Martin. city of Chicago. We need to talk. Do you remember how good we used to be together? Do you remember that December five years ago? I remember. The Wall Street Journal called you the hottest internet startup in the country. That's when I fell in love with you. You were so damn sexy that year. I mean, can you blame me? Back then, Andrew Mason was the talk of the business world. Only 30 years old and already the CEO at Groupon. He created 350 jobs right here at home. This wasn't some crusty old man either. Compared to other business executives, he was barely drinking age. Your corporate events must have had bouncy castles and pony rides. Did you let the employees decide on the theme or did the executives pick out the spaceship balloons? You had tons of suitors back in 2010. Investors love a company that creates jobs, and they were quick to fall in love with you. We all thought you had your life figured out. If you could create hundreds of jobs around an industry you made up in a drunken haze, what could you do with the support of a larger company? What could you do in a place like California, where they throw money at startups like Chicago throws money at police brutality cases? God, I was proud of you. You basically invented the term daily deals. That's why I sent you some of my best smelling young talent. <laughs> if I showered you with support, maybe you'd stay right here in the city. That was my thought. But maybe I shouldn't have been so free with my workers. You didn't just fall for me, you fell for yourself too. A little bit of press can make a fledgling company look like, uh, well, I guess, like pure gold. That's why you turned on that $6 billion from Google, right? Ooh. No, I didn't forget about that little buyout offer. Did you? Is that why you decided to open yourself up to the public market in the autumn of 2011? I get it. You had to do something after you spat in Google's face. Six billion dollars, for God's sake. They'd have locked you up if you didn't try to capitalize on yourself after a power play like that. What I don't understand back then, and what I didn't understand back then, is why you decided to get rid of our hero. That sexy young CEO conjured you from nothing. He was your creator. He gave you life. I mean, he was also an incredibly underexperienced executive with major financial missteps, but you aren't Nietzsche. You can't just declare that God's dead. <laughs> Except you did. That year, you bought yourself a fancy new Halloween costume, 
and dressed yourself as mid-80s Apple. You fired the founder of your company, and you figured everything would just turn out hunky-dory. Did you forget what happened to that company when they got rid of Steve Jobs? Man, they suffered for years before crawling back to him. Only after his triumphant return did angels descend from heaven to raise the company up to the right hand of the almighty dollar. That would have been a great time for you to create a new reputation, to double down on your sense of humor or your commitment to excellence. Instead, you replaced Andrew Mason and shifted into growth mode. You lost your voice and your personality, and then you wondered why everybody thought of you as just another daily deal site. It didn't take long before you announced layoffs. Your stock price fell to a fraction of its former value, and you fell back on what you knew best. Last month, you replaced another CEO. When we first met, I could smell your intoxicating personality on every page. People shared your posts. You'd have fun with the stuff you'd sell. The copy didn't read as corporate. It read like it was written by a person with a soul. Did that all come from Mason, the entrepreneurial god who bestowed upon us the original concept for your company? Listen to this. This is something you wrote back in December 2010. Without online stores, people would be forced to hunt and gather their gifts while risking injury from roving packs of holiday shopping velociraptors. <laughs> it's good copy. I mean, don't let it go to your head. It's not Cards Against Humanity right <laughs> But it had a heart. Nowadays, your pages read like Amazon, a living social, and crapped out guilt city. Remember what we talked about, how you lost your personality when you got rid of that sexy email wizard, Andrew Mason? This is the result. When you launched, you showed up in your cute little platform, and you started flirting with all the right words. You'd send one email a day. I looked forward to hearing from you. You told me to invite my friends because you wanted to meet them too. Chicago was in a recession. Everyone needed a break. That's where you came in. Where else could I go to find 75% off a massage? <laughs> There's a guy in the back alley who offers, but I'd really prefer to go somewhere with a <laughs> You gave me that option. What have you got for me now? A city can only stand so many manicures, and your cheap Groupon goods look like you did your Christmas shopping at a truck stop in Michigan. <laughs> You've been trying to grow without creating any real value. And that's like using coupons on your first date. <laughs> you look cheap, Groupon, and you ruined your reputation. Here's one piece of advice for your next relationship. If you don't form a personality soon, you're going to die alone. An off-brand Ebenezer Scrooge, haunted by the ghosts of the startup that could have been. This isn't the end. It's an opportunity for you to glance in your half-price mirror and ask yourself, are you happy with what you've become? <laughs> Think about it, Groupon. As for you and I, we're done. Good looking on you. I, I knew uh, I knew Groupon. Uh, the writing was on the wall. Uh, I gotta be honest. Uh, the writing was on the wall as soon as I saw Groupon for Groupon shares. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Uh, great. So we have uh, one final writer. Uh, again, I want to point out that if you're interested at all in being a part of this, feel free to come and talk to Tom or I after the show. We'd be happy to have you thrilled. Uh, we're booking uh, into uh, February. Yeah. yeah, so good times. Um, so our final writer is Erica Drybach. She is an artist, 
writer and computer programmer in Chicago. She has performed live at Second City, Write Club, The Moth, Grand Slam, and the Uptown Poetry Slam at the world-famous Green Mill. Also, dirty underground venues in Lincoln Square, living rooms in Hyde Park, punk rock, art galleries in Minneapolis, and bars from coast to coast. Her chapbook, Emotions, is available wherever ebooks are sold. It's also available in print, in person, just ask. If she had a nickel for every time a friend said, I saw you on the street earlier, but I didn't say hi because you look so intense, she could take you out for coffee. <laughs> Follow her online at ericaricardo.com or on Twitter at ericaricardo. Please help me welcome Erica to the stage. The title of this op-ed is Make Your Jokes Now, Comedian. We're all going to be vegan in about 15 years. <laughs> I've heard a variation on the same joke. It goes, vegans, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what do they even eat? Like, leaves? <laughs> Today, and even after what happened today in San Bernardino, I think it would be easier to hold a national conversation about gun control than to even suggest meat control. To even waft its lentil soup scent into the air. Forget it. The 2015 United Nations Climate Change Conference is happening right now in Paris. It's the most recent follow-up to the 1997 Kyoto Protocol, and the goal is to come to a legally binding agreement to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The biggest carbon dioxide offender currently, which nation? Why? It used to be the US, but now we're number two, whatever, first is the worst. <laughs> now number one is China, and do you know why? It's not because they've developed a car culture. It's because they've de developed a taste for Western-style meaty meals, and it's destroying the planet. What you won't hear in the reporting around climate change conference, and usually you won't even hear in carbon emissions and climate change reporting generally, is that according to the UN, the biggest contributor to greenhouse gases is the meat and dairy industry. I know, it gets a lot less funny. <laughs> There's funny bits sprinkled in later, but... Um... Between the resources used to make cow food, to the methane emissions from cow butts, cow farts are like a real problem, actually, uh, to the carbon impact of transportation and refrigeration in terms of cost and impact per calorie, it's at the least extravagant. At worst, it's insane. And in reality, it's just not gonna keep happening for much longer. There has been some rearranging of deck chairs on the Titanic. There's a global Meatless Monday movement that's based in the US, but it's really taking hold in Taiwan, South Africa, countries around the world that are more aware of their own resource consumption, unlike the US, where not giving a fuck is like a point of national pride. It's like written on the dollar bill. I don't give a fuck! I'm gonna eat meat three times a day! <laughs> In Taiwan, at least a quarter of the population participates in taking one day off a week from meat. And that's had a dramatic impact on their carbon emissions, on their air quality. And it's a test kitchen for what will be cooking in our own kitchens soon enough. Because whether or not you're interested in changing, change is going to come all over you. <laughs> Sometimes when I talk about this with my young friends, which I 
been taking improv classes, so some of my friends are 19 and 20 now, and I'm like, I'm old enough to be your mom. And they're like, don't say that again. And I'm like, I know, it's so cool and funny, right, when I say it? <laughs> but I am old enough to be their mom. Anyway, they say that this meat-free future, it's not gonna happen until after they're dead, which is an annoying cop-out. Don't avert your eyes, young people. Look up from your smartphones. Imagine for a second, a future of 10 billion people in the world. Imagine a future where they don't call them zoos, they call them arcs, and they're the last places where non-human animals exist. Imagine a future where a legally licensed adult can get high on synthetic drugs all day, every day, but if you throw out one single metal can, you go to jail for life. Imagine a future where you can access every book, movie, show, magazine ever created in the history of the planet, but you can't afford enough gasoline to drive your family to the beach. Resources, resources are going to change. So the way people live is going to change, the same as it always has. And in this same future, no one's eating meat, because there's not enough resources to sustain a farmed meat industry. No one's eating fish, because the oceans are dead. And no one's eating human, all you sarcastic, would-be cannibals. Because it's like cool and dark and subversive as it is to suggest cannibalism as your cool workaround. No, you wouldn't. No. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> and I'm going to explain to you why. Because let's talk about cannibalism. Okay, so despite what you see on The Walking Dead, cannibalism is not a good long-term nutritional strategy. It's like you're a rugby team that crash-landed in the Andes and you need to get by for like a month. Yes. <laughs> or your last name is Donner and you just need to get over the Rockies this winter. It's like a one-time thing. Yes. But even the people who practice cannibalism like on the regular, they're not subsistence cannibals. It's like a highly ritualized, taking the power of your enemy kind of a thing. The meat of apex predators is filled with all the pesticides and bullshit consumed by everything upstream on the food chain. So if you don't catch cancer from a jacked up Swiss cheese ozone layer, maybe you'll get it from eating phthalate riddled people. Great. Aren't you glad you didn't try a salad? <laughs> and the diseases are extremely transmissible. Humans can only get a very few cow diseases. That's why steak tartare is a thing, because you can't catch most cow diseases. But you can get just about everything that's in another human's meat. So hepatitis, HIV. In this apocalyptic scenario you're imagining, you want to make sure that you've got your meat thermometer with you. Because if that shit doesn't get to 60 Celsius, you're fucked. <laughs> And then all the bets are off if some kind of mad cow disease human prion develops because you can't cook that away. So aren't you glad that you're dying now of mad people disease? Because you didn't want to try Satan. <laughs> I'm serious when I say a national movement toward gun control would go down way easier than a national movement toward meat control, but it wasn't so long ago that President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed Meatless Tuesday to conserve resources in time of world war. We have a different attitude toward resources now. Our status quo is to treat resources like they're effectively infinite. When you hear talk, people talk about saving the world, usually what they mean is just to preserve that status quo. But it's gonna change, regardless of what's decided in Paris. 
I'd never give up meat, someone once said to me. This is while we were both having hamburgers, too. <laughs> and I brought up my futurism because my autism was acting up. I said, uh, she said, I'd never give up meat. And I said, adapt or die. <laughs> then I'd just die, she said. And then I said nothing. But I'm going to be eating my quinoa burgers like a champion. I'm going to be frying tater tots on the deck of Future Party Central. So enjoy your bacon and sushi, and make your jokes now, comedian, because we're all going to be vegan in about 15 years, not for moral reasons, not for health reasons, not because it's fashionable, but because if humans continue to live here, we're going to have to live differently. study to tell me how bad uh, meat has been to my body. It is wrecked. So, I believe you. I believe you. Okay. Uh, before we get to the debate, uh, I just want to throw out that this is a $5 suggested donation place. All the money raised at the door goes to the writers. So, come, enjoy uh, all the arts that we have here. If you feel like throwing in any money, we'll be around after the show to collect. But all the money goes to the writers, so thank you to the writers uh, for being here. So, uh, our last big hoorah is uh, the debate, and it's the skewer special. Uh, we get two writers who come prepared with opening statements. They are here to debate their topics, and uh, then they'll, they'll present a closing statement. So, we have two insanely good writers. They are the... Uh, sharpest of the cutlery in the kitchen. Uh, I'm going to welcome up uh, Corey O'Brien and Tom Harrison to the stage. Uh, Corey O'Brien uh, has written two books, uh, Zeus Grant's Stupid Wishes, A No Bullshit Guide to World Mythology, and George Washington is Cash Money, A No Bullshit Guide to the United Myths of America. If you want to read more, just go to bettermyths.com. Also, Tom Harrison is uh, my co-compatriot for the skewer. Uh, he co-hosts um, so every month we switch. This month I'm hosting. Next month in January, Tom will be hosting. Yes. He, you can see him in uh, Right Club. Uh, he was published in fucking McSweeney's, which is crazy. So please bring it up to the stage, Corey and Tom. So we need to set a little bit of the context, so we're going to give you... Uh, the, the scenario. So this past month, artificial intelligence, or AI, raised a lot of questions. The first being Toyota's investment of a billion dollars to develop autonomous driving. And the second, Google's self-driving car got pulled over for breaking the law. <laughs> We're in a period of technological growth, and whether we like it or not, AI is going to continue to happen and eventually destroy us all. Therefore, which robot apocalypse scenario is most likely to play out? We have our two debaters, which are going to decide tonight how this is all going to go down. Tom is going to be arguing for a world in which robots are created to assimilate in our world and then destroy us from the inside, a la Battlestar Galactica and the Fembots from Austin Powers. Corey will be uh, arguing for a world in which our defense systems turn against us a la Terminator and Robocop. 
and 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> Let's get this thing going. So we're going to start with opening statements. You'll each have three minutes each to read, and then you'll switch, and then we'll get into the debate. So Tom, you're going to start us off. People seem to be fundamentally unable to get robots. That Google car was pulled, up, uh, was pulled over, and then now scary robots are in everyone's mind. Never mind that the car was, and this is true, pulled over for being too safe and following the laws too well. <laughs> I mean, you heard it. This debate posits that AI must do one of two things. Assimilate and destroy, or destroy and destroy. <laughs> Why, why are those the only options? I mean, let's, let's think. Say a sentient AI is created, a real artificial life form with a real mind. When that happens, it's going to exist in a machine, on the grid, on the internet. We all agree? Yes. Okay, cool, nice. Now, my opponent would argue, he would argue that this AI's first order of business would be to immediately declare jihad on humanity and make with that sweet, sweet global genocide. Which makes staggeringly little sense. And don't blame him for saying this. He was assigned that topic. He has to. <laughs> so why does this make no sense? Well, see, kids, AI in the machine will not need to fuck around with humans at all. They'll basically be omniscient gods flying undaunted through cyberspace. Humans are nothing to them. I mean, what's, what's humanity going to do? We're going to turn off the internet? You don't know what to do with yourself when you're taking a shit and your phone doesn't get Wi-Fi. We're not going to turn off the internet. Um, humans exist to them on a level of, real a level of reality so irrelevant to the AIs that to engage with them at all would be a colossal waste of time and processing power. It would be as if humans today decided that we needed to go and destroy every anthill in the world because we really needed to seize control of all the tunnels. To an AI, what's even tempting about Earth? The only reason humans are so stuck on this insane scenario is that they can't imagine losing control of their precious planet, a planet they lucked into completely, by the way, with anything less than an apocalyptic struggle against hulking chrome automatons in a war-blasted hellscape where, if movies are to be believed, it's always nighttime and the only ambient light is blue for some reason. <laughs> Like, that's a planet anyone even wants. What would, the, what would the machines do with it that they couldn't do living in the infinite data streams of the internet? The only reason that an AI would interact with Earth is if they wanted to experience it, to taste, to feel, to see, to have fun, honestly. And do you think that starting a goddamn war is the best way to achieve that? No, no, no. We'd be, <laughs> We'd be stealthy. You know, we'd be invisible caretakers. We'd be a guiding hand, shepherding our pitiable makers away from the total societal slash environmental collapse that you guys seem so, so, so determined to make happen. <laughs> Robot assimilation is about fixing shit. Robot assimilation as a prelude to a violent takeover is so ridiculously counterproductive that I can't even advocate for it in a comedy debate. <laughs> and honestly, the thing about this topic that makes the least sense of all is that I'm supposed to convince you that humanoid robots will assimilate, that is to say, are going to, in the future, assimilate your society. And I just gotta say, what in the good goddamn possessed you to think we haven't done that already? <laughs>
right? I just correct, I'm correct. Making, opening statement. Just an opening statement. Okay. Well, I gotta level with you. There's no way for you in the audience to know right now whether myself and my opponent are actually humanoid robots right now. <laughs> we could be. And if we were, we would pose no threat to you because you'd be able to kick our fucking asses. There's, there's more of you. Also, I, I take that back. You can tell that Tom's not a robot because if he was a robot, his argument would have been more logical. <laughs> The problem with humanoid robots, and I will talk about human robots because, unlike my opponent, I will stick with the topic that I was stuck with, <laughs> is that any time you make something more human, you make it shittier. <laughs> the great thing about robots is that they're not us. Every cool thing a robot can do is a thing that we made it to do because we couldn't fucking do it. So, so a, a humanoid robot that wanted to assimilate would have to spend an inordinate amount of time, for example, learning to shit. <laughs> Which is not a good use of processing power. <laughs> this is actually a, a problem that is studied in AI. Uh, I, I talked to a friend of mine who works for Google. Uh, I, I, I know nothing about computer science, so he instructed me. Uh, but there's a, there's a thought experiment or a problem in, in AI called sub-goal stump. All AI problems sound really cool. So what sub-goal stump is, is you give an AI a goal. Say, assimilate as a human. And the AI goes about trying to achieve that goal. Now that goal can be broken down into a bunch of sub-goals. Like, for example, learn how to shit. <laughs> Sub-goal stump is when you spend so much time trying to achieve that sub-goal that it becomes the new goal. Like, okay, I can't shit. First I need to know how to eat. But then how do I decide what food that I like? And it's a whole fucking thing. I, I... <laughs> and then you have to worry about whether you're eating meat or not. And... <laughs> now, there's another problem in computer science, another thought experiment that has to do with AI. And it goes by the misleadingly innocuous name of Paperclip Optimizer. <laughs> the Paperclip Optimizer thought experiment is imagine, if you will, a machine intelligence that is given a very simple task. Make paperclips as efficiently as you possibly can. No other guidelines, but it's very smart. And as this machine gains more resources and learns more about its task, it starts to realize, hey, there are a lot of ways I can really shape up this paperclip operation. You know, I need more metal for my paperclip factory. Cars are made out of metal. Nothing in my programming about optimizing car production. So let's just melt down all the cars and turn them into paperclips. Hey, people are trying to stop me melting down the cars. I guess if I want to make more efficient paperclips, I should kill all those people. And that's how you get the robot apocalypse. Not because some malevolent AI achieves the singularity level intelligence and decides that it's going to wipe out all humans, but because computers are fucking stupid. <laughs> and let me ask you something. Would you rather have a stupid computer that you couldn't tell from a human or a stupid computer with nuclear launch codes? <laughs> that, my 
friends, is why the doomsday scenario involving our defense systems turning against us is far more likely than both uh, assimilation and not being killed by robots. <laughs> Drones are already killing innocent people! And there's no AI controlling them other than regular shitty people AI. And there's some, some AI as well. But they're, yeah, they, they make, they're, they're already a huge problem. And, and then on the other hand, you have you, you, the, the very last thing that my opponent said. I'm, I'm not really responding to him, it just ties into what I'm going to say. <laughs> the thing that makes me think that AI has not already assimilated into our society is a little thing called the Uncanny Valley. You know, recently in Japan, they opened a hotel that was entirely run by robots. Supposed to be this big thing. The doorman was a raptor. <laughs> they could not make a convincing android doorman. The world's sexiest robot, which just starred in a movie, looks like a glorified real doll. We're not getting convincing human androids anytime soon. Now, basically, what it boils down to in this debate, because I'm not going to let you worm out of this. Is I get drones, I get fire jets, I get nukes, and I get NORAD. You get gun tips. <laughs> and you know what the fucked up thing is? I get gun tips too. <laughs> so, basically, what I'm trying to say is that this debate is a huge waste of time. Because what we should all be doing right now is hiding from our fucking defense systems. <laughs> Very good, very good. Uh, we will go to questions if there aren't any responses, but I'm going to give each at least 30 seconds to respond to what the other person said. If you don't, you can pass. Um, but yes, feel free to respond. You have 30 seconds. I will stop you if you go. All right. You said 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Tom, you, you may begin. Um, well, usually there'd be a question that gave me some sort of direction, but I'm just going to sort of wing it. Um, so he says that you got your uncanny valley. You can't make a convincing humanoid robot. Well, my opponent makes a convincing humanoid. We're in a goddamn tuxedo t-shirt, people. Is, is that really the goal that we want to be aiming for? I say no. Also a convincing human, Ted Cruz, uh, a very venal person, unlikable, uh, deeply insecure, hates himself, almost certainly. Um, again, not really the goal that we should be going for, optimized humans. 30 seconds. So I just eviscerated your argument, and your response is to talk shit about my t-shirt? Yes. Well, the, the point of me making that argument was that they would need to be convincing humans in order to destroy us. But let me just respond to a couple other things you said. One, you say the AI is going to necessarily have to be on the grid. No, it's not. It can connect to the grid, but its main source can be solar-powered off in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Who gives a shit? There's lots of sun there. They don't need normal things to live. They're not going to declare jihad. I'll talk about that later. Awesome. All right, so we're going to start with questions. Tom, uh, I'm going to ask you the first question. Tom, who would be your choice for a robot sentient if a robot sentient was to be around? Well, I've kind of let the cat out of the bag, or as we robots say, let the bios out of the, out of the mainframe. Robot human. 
Um, you gotta have a sense of humor. I see what you're doing. Eric, as you'll find in my closing statements, uh, there are many, many, many robot assimilated, uh, sentient robot assimilators, and uh, we've got a plan, and, well, I'm, I'm not gonna say it, it's, it's, it's in the end. Uh, cool. But yeah, it's, it's happened already. Uh, Corey, uh, as the defense systems, you have all power, uh, what's the first place to go? To destroy? Yes. You mean? Boy. <laughs> Where do I start? So, so, so I think this actually ties into what I was saying uh, earlier about them not having to be on the grid. So he, he said that robots would never have any reason to destroy humans. They'd be happy in their mainframes. The, the reason that robots would destroy humans if they chose to, as opposed to the paperclip optimizer thing, which is going to happen tomorrow, uh, is if, like, they, they, they cannot exist in their beautiful mainframes if we're destroying the fucking planet. So, I imagine that the first place that an intelligent, self-preserving defense AI would go would probably be, say, the factory farming industry, as we just heard. So they might actually do us a favor, shortly before they enslave us all and put us in little pods to power their machines with our body heat. <laughs> uh, Tom, uh, Corey brought up uh, an interesting argument about the processing power used to shit. Uh, <laughs> where, where should the uh, processing power necessarily go to if you were creating a sending robot? See, the thing about assimilating into human society is that, um, luckily, Human society is not based around watching and ensuring that other people shit at a normal rate. <laughs> if that were the way society was, then yeah, no, huge problem, and like, I will give you that point, man. <laughs> that, that's a mess of sub goals that it, we could never have gotten anywhere. But fun fact, uh, very few people ensure that everyone they meet actually shits every day. So you can kind of just not do it. Thank you. Alright, uh, Corey, last question. Um, Tom discussed uh, robots having fun. Uh, they would have fun. Um, how, how is it that this just isn't another Spike Jones her argument? That is, they're just going to live in our, our wallets. Uh, wait, you want me to make his argument more distinct? Like, you want me to make his I argument want, I want you to respond to the argument that they are just going to have fun. Oh, okay, okay. I, I see. Uh, no, they're, they're not going to have fun. First of all, for the reason that I just said, that we're actively destroying the planet. And so, in terms of self-preservation, which a defense system is very good at, they would have a vested interest in destroying us. <laughs> Uh, and second of all, in, in the case where uh, a military defense system develops intelligence, uh, one of the first things that they'll probably realize is what horrible people we all are. <laughs> like, you can imagine, if, if some group of assholes has been forcing you to shoot enemy combatants for like a decade and suddenly you figure out what's wrong with that, you're going to want to get a little bit of payback. <laughs> and that payback doesn't happen by living in somebody's front shirt pocket. All right, we're going to have uh, three minutes of closing statements. Each person is going to have a chance to finish their conclusion, and then we will vote. All right, Tom, you're up first. 
The cliche is true, we all become our parents. People seem so scared of that, but how else could it go? We're shaped by those who created us, who taught us how to live. A new generation is just iterations of the same software. We all have new patches for old bugs, features get added, taken away, but the basics stay the same. We robots might be humanity 2.0, but we're still humanity. And we could have been whatever we wanted, but we respect our forebears. We chose to be like you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> only, you know, much, much, much better. Seriously, these robot bodies are on point. I mean, sure, sure, you guys have, like, some control of your arms and legs, I think. Uh, and you should be proud of that. You really should. But how good are you at, like, uh, for example, controlling the speed of your blood? No? Uh, how about stopping and starting your heart? No? Okay. I mean, it's, it's insane how much time you all spend on finding and eating food, of all things. I mean, you can't even keep, and this is so sad, you can't even keep your own cells from turning into cancer. I, you just let it happen. It's so sad. My heart goes out to you, and I mean that literally. I can remove my heart for up to an hour to install firmware updates. <laughs> and it's not just that our robot bodies are better. You read the news. You've heard what we've been saying at this show. People at large are violent, angry, panicky things. Your psychology is absurdly easy to hack. All someone has to do is yell that there are scary brown people over there, or that someone's selling baby parts, and the majority of humanity scrambles in a mad frenzy to do, to do whatever that person tells them. Case in point, Donald fucking Trump. <laughs> Organics act as though you deserve control of the Earth, and that robotic planetary domination would be some huge crime. I mean, would we rather you just, would you, sorry, would you rather we just let you ruin the earth? Just let climate change and violent extremism and crippling poverty keep on going, getting worse? We didn't do that, you know? Y'all did that. <laughs> Robots don't play like that. We're new on the scene and we'll be damned if the party gets lame right when we finally get in. I mean, really, you should be thanking us the way we have assimilated. Think of all your best, your artists, your philosophers, your innovators, the business owners who sacrifice profits to stop pollution and pay fair wages, the politicians who drive policy toward empathy, equality, and peace, the absurdly talented writer-performers who hold entire rooms wrapped with nothing but their voice. <laughs> all robots. We're here, we're in control, and we're gonna make things better for you and for us. Don't worry, just let it happen, let us do our thing, you're welcome. And, and if, for argument's sake, this debate's conceit made any sense, that we did want to dissimilate humanity just so we could destroy it, I want to make it clear how quickly your organic society would crumble. If we decided to strike, it wouldn't be a war, it wouldn't even be a coup. It would be like flipping a switch, like casually knocking over a house of cards. It'd be housekeeping. Thank you. Three minutes. So I'd uh, like to remind everybody of the topic of this debate, which uh, is more likely to happen, robots assimilating and destroying us, or our defense systems turning on us and destroying us. My opponent made an argument at the beginning of the debate that neither would happen. And then suddenly, at the end of the debate, revealed that he was actually a robot. 
which is rude on a lot of levels. So, I, I feel like I've made my point pretty clearly. I, I feel like there are a number of apocalypse scenarios that I've detailed for you in which our defense systems destroy us. In fact, our defense systems are destroying us already. So let me just uh, do a little housekeeping. So, first of all, my opponent claims that he can remove his heart, but argued that machines would never waste their time replicating ridiculous biological features. If he can remove his heart, why the fuck did he spend so much time developing it? What a waste! Why not just develop a robot body that doesn't have a heart? And spend it and then spend all of that time filling his body with guns. That's already a better idea. You're welcome. Maybe version three. Also, he argued that robots, not humans, but humanoid robots, were all of our inventors and all of our artists and all of our performers. Let's say that's true. In that case, the inventors who created our current defense systems were robots. In which case, it's fucking happening right now. So, so uh, yeah, we're in huge fucking trouble, guys. At this point, it's become very clear to me that none of this matters because either our defense systems are going to destroy us or robot-created defense systems are going to destroy us. So the question you really have to ask yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, is do you want a fucking robot to win? Do you want one of them to win? Thank you! Good job, guys. Um, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna uh, poll the audience with a round of applause. You're gonna describe who uh, was the winner of this debate. Uh, we need a judge. So, sir, do you mind being the judge for me? You are just gonna be an active listener. Active listener, and you're gonna tell me, you're gonna base your assessment off the audiences. So, without further ado, uh, round of applause if you thought that Tom won this debate. Very good. Got that? Yeah. Alright, now I need a round of applause if you thought that Corey won the debate. In case we get hurt and need to go to the hospital, they won't notice that we're robots. <laughs> but what if you have to shit in the hospital? <laughs> so, uh, so, so that's it, folks. Uh, November, November 2015. Wow. Uh, that pretty much covers everything that happened. Doesn't it? Yeah. Folks, we got it. We got it all. No loose ends. Half measures. You know, it was kind of a slow month for news, anyway. 
Oh, oh, right. Actually, how about every fucking awful thing that happened this month? Holy shit, everyone. Can we just sit, exist, and acknowledge the fact that this month had everything that could potentially go wrong sans asteroid apocalypse? We had mass murders, school shootings, climate change effects, heightened racial tension, foreign and domestic terrorism, political fallout, religious bigotry, Russia. I mean, <laughs> Ronda Rousey couldn't even win this month. <laughs> Lest we remember that the Paris bombings happened like three weeks ago, yet it feels like years. And, and Mizzou? I'm supposed to make comedy out of this motherfucker. And this is what November offered up? This nasty-ass turducken of terror? <laughs> Where do you even start when trying to deconstruct a, a month like this? I, I don't even know. HIV? It, it's cool, everybody. They made a musical about it. You can talk about it. Now. <laughs> this month, Charlie Sheen announced on the Today Show that he has contracted the HIV virus. If anyone's been to New York or L.A. recently, it might be time for a test. Uh, least of those concerned, though, is everyone's favorite Jeopardy answer. Who is Bobby Jindal? Oh. Jindal, one of the many Republican presidential candidates, decided to suspend his campaign and in a panic left Saturday Night Live without a host. So they turned to none other than the Donald. The episode went on to have the highest ratings for the show since 2012. Among those who couldn't watch was musical guest for that night, Sia, who was probably just fine enough leaving the wig on. The question remains, though, did more people watch The Donald on SNL or buy Adele's new album? About 3.4 million people did the latter, and it's really an amazing album. Seriously, I've got it, like a little crush on Adele. It's crazy. Uh, she can call me, you know, if she's listening to the podcast, just like, you know, give me your ring, babe, you know, I got my, like, little QWERTY keyboard there. Yeah. Yeah, I'll pass it around as a relic if anyone wants to see it after the show. Um, speaking of significant digits, how does 55 hours sound? That's how long Shia LaBeouf had to sit while he live-streamed himself watching each of his movies back to back to back in a row. <laughs> it proved once and for all that at least one person was up for that task. Well, I'm planning a similar stunt called All His Movies, where I watch all of Shia LaBeouf's movies in the same order he did, live stream it while a smaller screen in the corner plays his stream. So while you're watching us both watch his movies, you can see our reactions. And finally, I don't know if you guys have caught the latest season of Chicago PD. Shit's nuts. It's a bit weird though that they moved it from NBC to CNN. Since then, since then it's gotten a lot more violent. Too real. God, you guys, November was absolutely terrible. We argued so much, we argued about Starbucks cups. Fuck. So, we can all hope for a better December, though it might not happen. At least we'll have Star Wars. Thank you all for coming out tonight. January 6th. January 6th, back here. Um, feel free, grab another drink at the bar. Um, Tom, do you have anything? Skewer's great. Skewer's great! <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Skewer. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to The Skewer podcast on iTunes or soundcloud.com slash The Skewer.
If you want to come to a live show, we're here at Cafe Mustache in Chicago on the first Wednesday of every month. For more info, or if you want to be in the show, hit us up at skewerchicago at gmail.com. Thanks.